0: And as you can tell, Pastor or the other elders, they are all sick, except for Dell, and Dell's traveling. So be in prayer for our elders and several others in the church who are not feeling well. And it's good to have you, good to have visitors with us, a few visitors. And I apologize for not shaking your hand, because I'm not feeling the greatest myself. But we must go on. And I would like to also announce that our watch night service we were originally planning on a later service this evening from 8 to 10, but that has been canceled. So we'll have our normal Sunday evening service at six o'clock. All right, let's hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 63: "O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Many among us are sick, many among us may even be discouraged, but please help us to prepare our hearts for worshiping you. Just grant us that clarity of mind and heart to focus on your love for us, to understand your holy word, and to rejoice in the work of your son. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: Very good morning to you on this uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, it is uh, for the Christian. Uh, it we have uh, blessings new every morning, uh, and I'd like to read from uh, Lamentations chapter uh, three and verse twenty-two. Though the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not; they are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. Actually, my uh, sister who lives in Australia, has already celebrated the new year. Uh, So uh, we can uh, look forward to celebrating the new year as believers in Christ. Okay, hymn, if you'll please stand and sing hymn 493, 493, Revive Us Again.
2: God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah thine glory. Five us again For glory and praise For the lamb that was slain love. May he so be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, find the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, find the glory. Revive us again.
1: Please be seated.
0: At this time, I'd like to call up to the platform, Brother Micah Strait. He's going to present to us some of the work that he's done with the Washington Street Mission and the details about that. Come, Brother Micah. These are
3: the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Over the last month, our church has been collecting items for the Washington Street Mission. To all those who've donated, I'd like to thank you for your generosity. Springfield has roughly 500 homeless individuals living within the city. The Washington Street Mission serves around 150 of those men and women daily, Monday through Saturday. The homeless are offered hot coffee, a light breakfast, showers, clothing, and opportunity to hear the word of God. I prefer to call our homeless guests community members. I would speculate that over 90% of our community members are alcoholics, are addicted to drugs, have mental health issues, or have some combination of the three. I've witnessed fist fights. I've heard vulgar hate speech. But what is most heartbreaking is hearing from community members about what led to their homelessness. I would like to tell you a few stories this morning from my time as a staff member at the Washington Street Mission. The following stories were all told to me personally. I'm not adding any details for dramatic effect. I guess that Mike is around 50 years old. He is one of three community members who regularly attended our weekly Bible study at the mission. When I talk to him, he's always been thoughtful, soft-spoken, and grateful. He has a fair knowledge of the Bible, but Mike is also a blackout drunk, meaning that he drinks so much He has gaps in his memory from while he's drinking. One of the first times I talked to Mike, he had come to mission that Monday morning with a black eye. I had asked him what happened. He calmly told me that he had fallen over his face over the weekend while he was very drunk. In a later conversation with Mike, he brought up his alcoholism and how his father used to give him alcohol as a child. Mike explained to me that when he was young, He was a hyperactive child with ADHD. He told me that his father first gave him whiskey when he was five years old in hopes of calming him down. Mike would be the first one to tell you he needs to stop drinking. I honestly believe that he would like to quit, but the darkness around him keeps calling him back to the bottle. Nine years ago, James was a carpenter. He was trying to get on with the local union. One day he was riding his bicycle down North Grand Avenue and he was hit by a car. The accident broke his back. He spent the following year and a half in the hospital and in rehab facilities. He spent the two years after that trying to get disability. In that time, James lost everything that he had. He lost his ability to work normally. He lost his capacity to live pain free. He lost his trade, he lost his home, He lost his father. His father passed away the very day he was finally released from rehab. This was an accident that could have happened to anyone who's ever ridden a bicycle. James now lives with only memories of what might have been. The darkness hides any hope that he might have. I don't know her name. I was only able to talk with her for a few minutes. She is now in her late 40s and has a drug habit. It wasn't always like this. She used to have a nice house and a car. She, had a, she was successful in her business job. Things were going pretty well. But her 24-year-old son was in a very bad romantic relationship. He adored a girl who used him in every possible way and finally broke up with him. A day or so after his breakup, the woman called her son to ask if he was doing okay in regards to the failed relationship. He said something to his mother to the effect of, he had thrown everything in the bucket, He didn't care about it anymore. This was the last conversation she ever had with her son. Shortly after the phone call, he hung himself. She theorizes now that it wasn't the relationship that he had given up on, it was his own life. She now lives in a dark place, alone, grieving, and addicted. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As we begin 2024, I wanna challenge Faith Bible Church to be a light. To those already serving on our evangelism team, I say thank you and keep preaching. To those who don't think that street preaching is something that you can do, please consider coming with me to the mission. I would like to put a group together to go to the mission monthly, but perhaps more often depending on how many would like to serve. You don't need to be a well-spoken evangelist to go with me. All you need is the ability to listen to hurting and broken people and share Jesus with someone who desperately needs to hear the word of God. The last six months have been especially challenging at the mission. Several of our regular community members have passed away. Taz had a heart attack. Stephen overdosed. I'm not sure what health ailments took Tiffany. Cherry was hit by a train. Big Mike had a heart attack. Society shuns and ignores the homeless. As followers of Christ, we aren't allowed to be uncaring, insensitive, callous, or hard-hearted. Jesus told us that we are the light of the world. We have lost people in our city who are dying without knowing Jesus as their savior. If you would be interested in coming to the mission with us, please talk to me or talk to Del. The darkness is real, be a light. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, please open our hearts and open our eyes. In the darkness that is all around us, give us vision, give us clarity, and give us wisdom to see what you would have us to see. I ask now that we might see other people as you see them. Everyone, every man, every woman, and every child on this planet has been created in your image. Every neighbor, every coworker, every classmate, every friend, every foe, rich, poor, homeless, they're fearfully and wonderfully made. You, almighty maker of creation, you wove us in our mother's wombs. Bless us by filling our hearts with your love. Help us to be shining beacons of light for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name
0: we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Micah. If you all please stand now, we'll have our weekly scripture reading.
4: Please open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You may be seated.
1: Okay, the next hymn is Hymn 281, I Will Sing of My Redeemer.
5: this morning to praise your holy name. God you are worthy. Lord we pray in this coming year we ask that you just draw draw our hearts to you just bring us to your word to your Bible reading every day daily father. God we pray for the persecuted Muslim countries God, we pray for our elders, our pastor, our deacons. Father, we pray for the Christian students and colleges who share the gospel with other students. We pray for those in our congregation that are attending seminary and are being led by you into the ministry. Father, we pray for the health needs of those in our church, and Lord, you know there are many right now, many out with sickness, including our our pastors. God, we pray your healing hand is upon our congregation, our pastors, for Steve and Pastor Daniel, Jim, Linda, both Linda's. Gary, James Black, Celeste, Rose, Vic, Bev, Pastor's friend, Matt Riker, Dell's father, Marla's mother and father, Charlie and Becky, and many others. Father, you know these situations, and you are sovereign, and we trust you, Lord, and we pray for healing and salvation of those that are not saved. Lord, we pray for our doctors. And God, we pray for our elderly and afflicted in our church and their caregivers, Lord. Strengthen the caregivers. We have many in our church. Lord, we pray for the families in mourning. There's a specific family with two grandparents that they lost in the last few months, Lord. God, we pray for peace between Israel and Ukraine. And Lord, we thank you and we are expectant of your faithful mercies for the coming year and we are thankful for the mercies of 2023. We praise you, Lord, and through your son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray, amen.
0: Thank you to our musicians and all those who contributed to still stick together this morning's service even without so many people who normally take charge of things. Open your Bibles this morning with me to the 73rd chapter of the book of Psalms. Psalm 73 this morning. And as you do that, as you turn there, Let me just give you a brief reminder of what preaching actually is. Do you ever stop to think about that? What is preaching? Well, first of all, preaching takes a passage of Scripture. It must have a passage of Scripture or it's not preaching. And next, it seeks to explain that passage of Scripture, to get the meaning that God has put into the passage and bring it out so that it is evident and open and clear to us, what that meaning is. But preaching doesn't stop there at just explaining simply the meaning of the passage. Yes, it involves some teaching, but it goes beyond that. Preaching appeals to your will. It appeals to your emotions. It appeals to reason, to logic. It also appeals to love. And it appeals most highly to faith. Brethren, we need faith. And preaching is designed to take God's word and motivate you to obey it, to persuade you and to convince you of the truths of God in such a way that your life changes as a result of it and that you are more conformed to the image of Christ than you were when you first started hearing the sermon. So that's what preaching is and what it should do. Let's begin by taking an inventory of this past year. Think about it. Think about your life this past year, 2023. How has it gone for you? Has it gone well? What what losses did you have? Did you have any gains? Did you get a new job, a better job than your old job? Or did you lose a job? Did you lose someone you loved? Did you lose a promotion? Were you persecuted? Did you make progress in any area of your life? Did you meet the goals that you set for yourself or did you even have goals set for yourself? Or did you fall short of those goals? How have your relationships changed with everyone around you? Did you meet new friends and find new people whose company you can enjoy? Or did you lose some old friends? Are tensions strained between You and someone you care about? What happened this year? What are you facing right now at the very end of the year that you will have to deal with and continue to struggle with into the next year? What are your struggles? What are your trials? What temptations are you facing? Do you realize that you're facing temptations? Or are you kind of just coasting? Without giving much thought to these things, how many times have have you failed God? How many times have you failed to be what you ought to be as a Christian? And how has your faith held up? Has your faith increased this past year? Or has it decreased? Oh, you of little faith, is that us? Is that our own lives? But testing and refining, those are a normal part of the Christian walk and the Christian life. We are to be tested. It was foreordained for us to be tested and tried. And to overcome temptation, that is the Christian's life. A life of victory over temptation. But there is struggle. And sometimes we do give in to sin. But in the interest of motivating us all, and in the interest of preparing us all for what lies ahead, we should know how to deal with temptation before it comes along our path. If we can get out ahead of it, and we can understand how temptation works, maybe some of you are mechanics or mechanically inclined. Maybe you like to take things apart and figure out how does it work? How do all the little intricate pieces come together to form the whole thing. Well, that's kind of what we're going to do here. We're going to take apart what is a temptation, one specific temptation, but it can be applied to other temptations as well, some of the principles that we will learn this morning. And, of course, the Bible is not a textbook with every detail of every possible problem in every possible circumstance doesn't tell you how to set up your computer, doesn't tell you how to change a car tire, but it is sufficient. It does tell you, it is fully sufficient to respond successfully to every possible thing that could happen to you. Not in detail it doesn't tell you those things, but it does give you principles. It does give you promises. It reveals to you the very nature and character of God so that your faith can be founded upon that and the work of Christ that brought you into his family. So, with that in mind, and what is the alternative to that? Briefly think on that. If we say there's an alternative to the sufficiency of Scripture, we're saying that there are some situations that the Bible simply doesn't cover. It's simply not good enough for all of our life. Is that really something we would believe? No. No, we are not very unique in history, but human nature and the nature of sin and the nature and promises of God, they haven't changed. So we can we can build, start to build our Christian lives off of that. Do you feel good spiritually right now? Use a time of plenty, a time when you enjoy good communion with God, in order to prepare for those lean times, the times that will test you later, store up when it's abundant, and then use later. But if you're discouraged, don't despair this morning. Let's just start thinking about the first verse of our passage. So I hope you've turned to Psalm 73, turn your attention now to the very first verse, And we'll read up to verse 16. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than the heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people turn here, return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastised every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children." When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. So, this introduces us to a spiritual problem, a trial, and a temptation that is common to us even today. But first of all, let's take a moment to meditate on the goodness of God. What does it mean that God is good? It doesn't mean that He simply acts good. Or it's a trend or a fad that he is good sometimes. But God is good. His very being itself is good. He is the definition of goodness and love. Who is God good to? You can see the first verse says God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. Israel is God's chosen people who he has an everlasting covenant with. Christians are a part of Israel. You are God's chosen people. And God has made a covenant with you through Christ. And continual goodness is thus guaranteed by God's own hand. It's not as if the promises depend upon you. But what God has said he will do, that is what he will do. It is fixed, it is certain, and he will not be moved. Israel and the pure in heart, these are not two separate groups. Let me emphasize that once again. Those who are chosen by God are refined to purity of heart and purity of mind and purity of life. They're refined. Think of the refining of gold. It takes a lot of heat and the stress that the gold is under is tremendous. But at the time of refining, once that process has finished, You have gold that is more pure, more beautiful, more precious because it is not mixed in with anything else. Well, God takes us, purifies our hearts, and removes all admixture of sin fully and finally when we stand before him in glory. Now let me ask you, do you see sin for what it really is? What is sin? Sin is the most putrid vile, disgusting filth. And we need to see it for what it is. It's not just mistakes. It's not just a little bit of overlooking an issue. It is an offense against a high and holy and almighty God, even the smallest one. But we see right off the bat that this issue that we run into really has been resolved because the psalmist tells us of the goodness of God and he relies upon God's goodness to find hope and to find help. Be encouraged because the answer is found in the goodness of God's loving care for his people. His people who are what? They are refined and set apart for purity of heart. They're set apart for holiness You'll see the issue summarized in the, in the uh, second and third verses of this passage. What is the real problem here? His faith is in question. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here is a man who's seeing the wicked. Every day he passes them by. They're unbelievers. They're even outright blasphemers. Some of them even curse God. And they seem to prosper beside their actions. You would think God would not reward that. God would would do something about that. So why is it that this problem is arising? Perhaps these people, perhaps they're so wicked they only care about themselves. Perhaps they gladly destroy anyone who gets in their way. And we know all the ways in which people prosper. How many celebrities can you name who have prospered, yet they live lifestyles of absolute horrible sinfulness? How many politicians the same way? How many names will go down in history not because of godliness, not because of the good things that they've done, but because of how extravagantly wicked they were? We should not be that way. But the psalmist even goes into greater detail describing how the wicked prosper and what has caused him to almost stumble and almost uh, almost be, be shipwrecked on his faith. He goes into greater detail about that. But I want you to know that this is serious language of struggle. He had sank to a depth that was almost too deep to recover from. It's like he's the prophet Jonah. In the belly of the beast. Sinking down to the dark depths of the bottom of the ocean. Is there any hope? He's wondering. He's questioning. Is there hope for me? Why is this happening? What prophet is it that I act a certain way with holiness and righteousness? And the, wickedness can, the wicked can just do whatever they want. Even cursing God. What do they do? They, it, how do they prosper? Well, first, there's no pangs in their death. They die peacefully, comfortably, with enough stored up to last. Also, their strength is firm. They've got strength, physical vitality. They're not facing diseases or struggles, at least so it seems. They seem to even have no troubles beyond that. They're not plagued like other men. They're not in trouble as other men. So pride and violence, we see, are like fine clothing clothing to them. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their pride and their aggressive violence, like, like a beast, like an animal, that is what they pride themselves of. They clothe them like selves like fine linen, like kings' garments and gold chains. Such is the clothing of the wicked. And they flaunt it. Their, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have plenty. They have, in fact, more than their heart could wish, verse seven goes on to say. Yes, these men and women, they boast, they talk. They scoff and speak wickedly, in verse 8 of this chapter, concerning oppression. They speak loftily, they set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. They boast, they plot, they spin elaborate webs and traps. They create all of this to snare the unsuspecting. Well, they should have read the book of Proverbs. How setting traps for others plotting to take innocent life, that will be condemnation to themselves. They will be caught in their own snares. So brazen do they become, they would gladly rip you to shreds if it meant even a slight, slight gain for themselves. But they spread the message of their fame far and wide, all over the earth. Their tongue walks through the earth. They pay a premium to be the front and center, display, and to show off. To show off and flaunt even their sin, even their debauchery. And in return, what do they receive? Millions of likes, follows, clicks, views, dollars, and they're even given power. Then it's not enough, even though it's more than the heart could wish, but they spiral downward You've seen famous people who just got so big and they went out of control and eventually they destroyed themselves. But some don't. Many don't. But they spiral downward willing to spill blood or even do anything to get more power. Well, this gains them a following. This leads them and their star-struck, hypnotized masses who follow them that leads them to question God. Well, if blaspheming God has brought so many follows and likes and millions of dollars and riches, well, then is God really there? Verse 11, they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? They start to question Is God there? Does He care? Or maybe this is the way we should live. Obviously, it's paid off for me. So they dismiss God. They question his words. And they find themselves at ease. Verse 12, who are always at ease. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. And even though they're always at ease and they're ungodly, the next line of that same verse says they increase in riches. Wow. Imagine being a Christian, observing that. We do observe that. We've seen it this year, and we'll see it next year. But they say, why not? The money's still coming in. The well hasn't run dry. Now imagine if you worked at a big hydroelectric dam as an inspector. Every day you do your inspection, you walk by, one day you notice a small leak coming out. Well, you're chewing a piece of gum, so you take the gum out, stick it on the leak. There you go. You didn't have to shut down the whole operation. You didn't have to waste time, didn't have to waste money. Simple repair problem issue taken care of. So you go back the next day. Oh, look, there's another small leak. Well, gum is cheap. So you put another piece of gum there. And week after week, you keep finding these small leaks, And you pay no attention, really. You don't think anything about the millions of gallons of water bearing down on the other side of that structure. So one day, you're doing your inspection, not thinking anything in the world of something bad happening, and suddenly the dam gives way and you are swept away in a moment. This is the life of a wicked man. Brethren, take heed. Take heed that you really stand in the faith. I don't want you to be swept away as a wicked person will. In a moment, all their life, all their accomplishments, all the fame. Doesn't matter who they are. We could name the biggest names there are out there. All their wealth, all their family, all their accomplishments gone in one single moment and worth what? Worth nothing because they did not repent of their sin. But the wicked one suddenly is taken away. But it would be a false conclusion for us to say, well, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands with innocence all the day long, though. I've been plagued. I've been chastised every morning. I have it so rough as a Christian, the sacrifices I have to make. And the things that I do week after week, over and over. We could say that. But that would be wrong. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. And so the psalmist goes on and says, If I had said I will speak thus, Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children, all of those that had come before the psalmist, whom God had taken care of. Every generation, the faithful, God had not let them down. God had always met their needs. And he knew the testimony of the Lord is sure. And his words are pure. So, he could not speak this against God, He could not accuse God, but it was still so hard to even understand. I know what the right thing is, but how do the wicked prosper? Why does God allow the wicked to prosper? Why does he allow these things? He ultimately concludes it's it's too painful for me. But the struggles and the sacrifice of living for God, they're often hidden from sight. Sometimes we don't get recognition for being Faithful in the small things. We don't get applause from the world or money for our endurance in the faith. But the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him. And he will not forsake any one of you. If you have faith and trust in him and love him, his love will support you and help you. But getting caught up in these thoughts... Thoughts just like that draws us away from God. It even draws us, by extension, away from reality itself. Objective truth. And that's what the wicked do. They build a false reality. They try to attempt to shield themselves from the truth because the truth is too much for them. They cannot bear the truth that one day God will judge every one of their actions unless they repent and obey the Lord but they believe they can shape truth themselves they believe they can take reality like a lump of clay and mold it however way their hearts desire nearer to the heart's desire as an old song says so they they attempt to shape reality they attempt to change things from even one substance into another. Like an alchemist trying to turn lead into gold, they try to turn their sin into something that is world-changing and good. And they flip what God has set up to be true and right and moral, they flip it on its head and make everything practically the opposite. But let's not come to the conclusion that all we have done is in vain, Because God is still faithful, even from the time this verse was written until now. Many generations have come and gone, and God has been faithful to them. We have the whole Bible before us. Example after example, prophets, priests, apostles, and ordinary Christians, they have all been held by God's hand through the ages. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment, that's great gain. Never in vain do we pursue godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 8 also says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So godliness truly is profitable, not only for now, but also for, in the life that is is to come in the next life when we dwell with god our godliness now matters and it gives us a reward god rewards those who seek him and we have much profit if we will but obey god so he goes on and the whole passage kind of hinges on verse 17 turn your attention there until I went into the sanctuary of God then I understood their end until he returned to understanding the words of God meditating and thinking on God's very words until he got together with the people of God what is an important lesson we can learn from this come to church be with God's people Fellowship with one another. Heed the wise counsels of older Christians and the the ones who, who lead you in the faith, the ones who shepherd you, the elders, or Christians you know are mature. Get in the sanctuary of God. Get alone with God's word sometime as well. And pray to God that he reveals these things to you and he will show you the true end of the wicked. And what is the end of the wicked? The end of the wicked is that they are set in slippery places and God will cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. Remember my earlier illustration. They are swept away as in a moment because they never really deal with the true issue, the true problem. The problem is not The things don't go your way in life. The problem is, are you obeying God or not? Is sin a problem in your life, or has it been repented of? Has it been forsaken? Because they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. God, in his patience, mercifully, withholds judgment until the proper time. But when that time comes, when it is perfect, appointed hour approaches and arrives, then he will open the doors of his wrath, and it will be poured out upon the ungodly. They will be devastated and swept away. We can't understand how all of these pieces work together, though, until we demystify our minds. Demystifying our minds is getting rid of all the cares of the world and focusing on the Lord. Fix our heart. Fix your heart upon the truth by seeking God and exercising faith. It takes faith in a belief that God is who he says he is. So go before God, worship him, read his word, see his perfect love and his perfect justice. The the wicked are ready to fall at any time. They will be punished. One day God's wrath is poured out upon them. Thank God for his patience. Thank God for his mercy. This is something we should thank him for often. Because brethren, if you are saved this morning, then you know the mercy of God. You know his long-suffering. You know his patience. The only thing that kept you out of hell was his good pleasure. But he did keep you out of hell. And he did bring you to a saving, understanding, and saving love of Christ. And he will keep you in that. God's goodness his love and his justice towards us is expounded in the remaining verses of this chapter. He says in verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He's saying that his, his sin made him like a beast, like an animal. It was so low. I'm reminded though of a certain story in the Bible of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who was made to live like a wild animal for a time. He walked around on all fours. He ate the grass of the field. He was wild. But that was because of his pride and his boasting, because of his self-exaltation, because of his self-esteem. He esteemed himself too highly. Brethren, don't do that. Realize the place that you are in. Cherish the place that God has put you in. Because whatever station of life you're in, God has providentially led you there. And you need to understand that you will be where God wants you to be if you obey him. So he expands upon the promises of God and the love of God He repents of his sin. And he says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So look forward, brethren, to the glory of God. Look forward to being received with joy and gladness into his glorious creation of heaven, his dwelling place, where we can enter in and see him face to face and walk with God with no sin. What is our response to this? What is the right conclusion? Put your trust in God alone. The new year is stretched out before us. What will happen? We don't know, but God does. Will you trust God and will you love God in this new year? Please do this. Please exercise love for God Exercise yourselves unto godliness. Discipline yourself with spiritual disciplines. And that will bring you much profit in the new year. And those who trust in God, what do they do? They declare his works. The old theological term is Magnalia Dei, the wonderful works of God. The just shall live by faith, and they will declare the works of God that he is good to his people. It goes right back to the first verse. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. So knowing this, whatever is ahead of us, is nothing compared to the goodness of God. So brethren, rejoice in the wonderful works. Declare them and his goodness. And take rest that he will keep you and hold you fast in the new year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the most encouraging words of your word. We thank you that you have given us these examples of scripture to guide us and lead us through temptation and trials. Lead us now by your counsel and help us now to understand your word even better in the coming year. We thank you for your goodness. Help us to love you more. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Logan, for that sermon. May we be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you'd like to turn to your hymnals, to hymn 228, 228, Alas, and did my savior bleed.
0: we come to the Lord's table once again, I will simply go back to the last verse that I preached on. Psalm 73 verse 28 says this, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. And one thing that should declare God's works to those around us, one thing that should give us hope, for the future, whether it's the immediate future or the far future, even after we die, it is the hope that we are a believer. The hope that we share in communion with Christ in our hearts. That's why we do this. So I would ask you, if you are a believer, it doesn't matter if you're a member or not of this church, if you truly believe in Christ and he is your savior partake with us in this table but if you do not why not why not become a believer if you are not a believer meditate on the fact that you're not meditate on all that I've said you will not be able to declare the works of God if not so let the plate pass if you do not believe But the rest of us, join me together in declaring the works of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us now. I pray you would help us to examine our hearts and repent and cleanse us, please, of any sin. That we may come before you with a pure mind, pure hearts, and be assured that you love us and be assured of the hope that you will return one day or take us home and we will share in the everlasting promises that you give us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Please stand while we uh, sing uh, our parting hymn 461, 461, He Hideth My Soul.
5: The Lord bless each and every one of you in this coming year and let's close in prayer Oh Heavenly Father we do thank you for this past year where we can see your hand your blessings your mercies upon this church upon us each of us God we thank you Lord we look expectantly into this new year knowing that you love us Father that we are yours that you will uphold us you will keep us strong Keep us strong in the faith, Father. Keep us biblical in your word, Father. Uh, Protect our church, Lord. We praise you and go with us, Lord, this day and every day. In your son's name we pray. Amen.